Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion with a special guest, me, celebrating 300 episodes of Being Lutheran. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service to His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or to apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. And Pastor Brian Rickey. Again. Yeah. Are you back? Yeah. Is this for one, like a... one more, one more. I, I, well, I'd come back for others. You yeah. Know, but, yeah. Uh, is, is this like Captain Planet, you know, like all our powers combined, like the four... <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> Not where I was expecting you to go. Voltron. It's like, I was, like now we have to have. This is one of my hobby horses as as a known connoisseur of seventies, eighties, and nineties cartoon. Uh, Captain Planet yeah. is the lamest version of Voltron you can possibly come up with. It is, it is like like how can you make something awesome and totally gut the entire thing of any entertainment value yeah. whatsoever? Yeah. Right. Oh, that was funny. Uh, that was good. Good. Okay, well. <laughs> but I will say it had for for all its weirdness, it had a pretty good theme song. Yeah, you know, as far Captain as Captain Planet, Planet, he's our hero, gonna bring pollution yeah. down. Adam, I'm gonna zero. edit this part out. Yes, yeah. yeah. please, please do. Well, yeah, I'm just right. really trying to get Adam to sing Kyrie Eleison. Yes, yes. So. You know, I I had forgotten about Captain Planet until Brett said that, and I'm like, it just I had a moment where I'm like, I'm in my living room, I'm eating Fruit Loops. And I'm sitting on one of those one of those orange and flowery ottomans, yeah. you know, as I'm watching TV, and yes. that's where I was at just for a moment, and it was right. and, sad, and, and, and it, at the same time, kind of nostalgic. So it. thanks. Yeah. Your thought, just like every other kid in the '90s thought when they were ha- when they had to watch Captain Planet in the afternoon, is like, man, I got home early, and Ducktales isn't on yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Ten more minutes of this. Yes. Uh, oh Earth, and, wind, and, yes. water. That's what I. I was going to say mean, that. Yeah. Gonna, that's what I thought yeah, we were going to do when you yeah, said that. Forward. Earth. Yes. Yeah. When you mentioned Kyrie Eleison, so one of the two parishes I serve, the guy who was before me, the pastor before me, had this huge operatic voice, you know, just great singer, and he would sing that as part of the liturgy. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Like the Mr. Mr. version? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know, just actual Latin. Okay, it's like, that would be strangely awesome and out of place. Yeah, the mass version of the, yeah. And they're like, they looked at me like, are you going to sing it? And I go, no. You know, I, it, I can't sing at all. I can hear it. I can hear when someone's even a quarter step out. Yeah, yeah. But I remember one time taking my kids to worship before as a pastor. Zachariah's probably about seven or eight years old. And we were singing to him, and he's standing standing on the pew next to me, you know, looking at the book with me. And he goes, he goes, dad, I go, yeah. He's like, you're right. You really can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) So when we were all in seminary, were you the one that Mr. Nelson in uh, seminary chorus told the lip sync? Yeah. (laughs) No, but... But it was actually, it was the only class I could have got to see in because I just, I can't oh, sing. funny. Come on, man. I had to actually study the tenor part for great is thy faithfulness. 
come on, man. I mean, I, I sat there in my car singing it, and my wife is laughing because she knows that when, like, I'm in the recordings, when I used to be in the recording studio and record all the time, we, we'd have singers, and I'm like, yeah, you're just, you're just like a quarter step flat. She's like, how can you hear that and not sing? And I go, I don't know. Maybe God's keeping me in my place. I don't know. But I, I cannot sing. Hmm. But I can hear it, man. I just, I can't sing. Huh. Well, that that's cool. Well, I guess. well, if you ever want somebody to come and sing the Mister Mister version, I'll come and be your cantor. I will. Yes, yes. Yeah. come on out, man. That'll be beautiful. Nice. Come on out. Uh, yeah. So this episode, you know, building off of, uh, it was great to hear your pastor pastoral heart, Brian, uh, just in in your new setting, and and so we wanted to take this episode to talk about just how the confessions uh, play out in the parish in congregational life. And um, so any, any initial thoughts on that, Brian? I think it's vital. I mean, I know that um, when, I, you know, when you jump into confirmation with, with any new parish, you kind of got to see what they did beforehand. And, um, you know, and then you, know, you just have to try to find out where, where everybody's at. Like, where is their biblical knowledge at? Because you can't just jump in both guns ablazing with what you've always done in the past because... You just, you have to assess the problem and the problems, the strengths and, and where, and kind of where everyone is at. And so I returned to, you know, using the small catechism where I wasn't using it necessarily before because in my previous parish, I only did the second year and we only had confirmation for two years. In these two parishes, we do three years. Oh, so jealous. Yeah, I love, I actually love it. So I do a year of catechism. I do a year, a survey of the entire Bible. And then the third year is a year of apologetics. Hmm. And I love that. It is so much fun. We have great interaction uh, the students, I ask, honestly, I don't have a bad student. I really love all my confirmation students, and we have about 10, which is a nice group, and it's divided between the, the two. But the year of, of small catechism, I intentionally bring in systematic theology, you know, and start to bring in, okay, Nicene Creed here, and even though we're at the Apostles' Creed here, and, or even though we might be in the, the Lord's Prayer, I always kind of bring that in. And kind of what that means and how to apply it, just like we did, you know, when we first started the podcast. And gosh, that was so helpful to me and so beneficial. So, you know, honestly, I just, I look back and I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. You're kind of training me for, you know, for future ministry. So I, I really appreciated that. So that's one way. And then in Bible studies, uh, especially when I do new members class, um, I use the confessions for that as well, Augsburg Confession, mm -hmm. the unaltered Augsburg Confession, yeah, you know? That's right. And um, that's very helpful in doing new members class, so. Yeah, I think we, you know, the three of us, and you too, Brian, we we can kind of take for granted just how important the confessions are because we, we teach a, a podcast that is based on the content of the confessions mm -hmm. and we're immersed in it all the time. But it's not automatically a given for people in church settings. It's yeah. not even a, a given for pastors in conservative Lutheran settings that the confessions, the Book of Concord, is of practical use to day-to-day -day life as a Christian in the congregation. And I think the four of us can bear witness to the fact that the Book of Concord is both relevant and practical for day-to-day -day use as a Christian, and seeing that play out in real time in ministry is incredibly important for communicating mm. that cause to those who have doubts. For, you know, in our particular tradition in the AFLC, which comes out of capital P pietism of Scandinavia, which is its own historic 
context, you know, for yay or nay on several issues. But what happens is that the ministry jobs in the Scandinavian state churches were basically government jobs, mm-hmm. right? It's like being a middle manager at the post office as being a pastor. And that really perpetuated the idea for about 100, 150 years that the study of theology is really an exercise of academia. So what you're saying, Jason, is that, you know, Boy, that that word, I, I can't remember. We used to say it all the time. That, that it was good for vocation? There we go. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Right. Is, that, yeah. is that what you're How saying? We went an entire episode with you and didn't even bring up yes. the term. I know. I felt bad. <laughs> I, 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 I did. When we got done, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't get to say vocation. Yeah. But, you got your buzzword in now. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. But from the perspective of well, all that doctrine, all that theology is unnecessary, it's sterile, it's yeah. academic, and that's not what the Book of Concord is at all. No, and one of the things about ministry that I have found, especially with, I had quite a few people in assisted living homes, quite a few shut-ins, and actually quite a few people suffering from either dementia or even Alzheimer's, man, are those confessions important? Sure, the Apostles and Nicene Creed, and I know that's in the Book of Concord, of course, and it's not necessarily a Lutheran, quote-unquote, confession, but... Man, what a blessing to say the Lord's Prayer, to say the Apostles' Creed with someone who didn't even recognize their son or daughter yesterday, and how God is preserving their spirit through these things. And a lot of people feel like, well, repetition, you know, well, that's all just dry, you know, whatever liturgy. And there's a beauty to repetition. And it's it's not the repetition, it's our heart's lack of engagement in those confessions. You know what I mean? I find it interesting. I, when I was in confirmation, I had to memorize the catechism as we, I think maybe all did. Did you have mm-hmm. to, Brett, too? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and we were in going through all that, and I was being babysat, so to speak. Uh, my babysitter from the time as a baby was actually, I was taking care of her in the end of her life when I was 13 and in confirmation, but she lived right kitty corner from the church. And so I'd go over there and she would, you know, have popcorn ready for me. She'd have a Coke ready for me and she would help me with my memorization. And the thing that always amazed me is at that time, she would have been, I'd have been 13. She would have been 80. And she remembered from her childhood, mm. even the, the catechism piece that she had to, to remember, you know, the memorize when she was in confirmation and that it had stuck with her. And, and there was something about that to, in my world and in my mind that realized, okay, so this transcends time. Mm-hmm. I, I look at so many things in our, our Christian circles today. I look at our our uh, literature and different things. And there's a lot of really good Christian um, writers right now, gospel centered, solid writers. There's a lot of good things that won't matter 50 years from now because they're speaking to cultural issues that are happening right now. Uh, One of my responsibilities at the college is I was uh, worked with the librarian to oversee the library and she would find old dating books from the 30s and 40s. And uh, we, we will look at them and we will like laugh hysterically. We learned there's a phrase that they used in the old dating books about, you know, you got to be got to be wary of those teenagers who want to fling the woo. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> apparently that's not nearly as dirty as it sounds. Uh, we had to Google it. Don't, you don't want to Google everything like that. But but that was OK. Um, you know, and I look at that and some of those things are just we'll never think about dating like that again. But. When my when my uh, babysitter when when it's like nope this is the same thing that I learned and then you realize okay it goes back a lot further than her yeah you know it goes back a lot further than that point and so it's it's a consistent thing it's a uh, it's a 
it's something that transcends time. And when you can realize that and, and find out new ways to apply that in the parish, that's where I found success. Mm-hmm. That's what or even in the college, there's a lot of students who are interested in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the tune that we have a class called Lutheran Confessional Theology. And I thought, oh, that'll be fun. Now, it'll be a lot of people sign up for that one. And uh, it's elective. And a lot did. And some, you know, so that's one of their favorite classes. Because these are things maybe they haven't really studied or thought about. But it's, like I said, it transcends time. One of the most frequent conversations I've had with the people I know who've come out of less traditional Christianity into the Lutheran Church. So there's multiple directions you can come into the Lutheran Church, right? There's handfuls of coming out of Roman Catholicism or out of atheism, but there, there is a strain of people that's coming out of the less traditional forms of Protestantism into the Lutheran Church. And, and, and frequently the comment has been made to me how exhausting it is to have to invent your faith. Mm. that you're not coming from a position of historical Christianity. And so there isn't that fallback, mm-hmm. right? There isn't that, that history of this is tried and true and scriptural. You're, you know, when a question comes up that you've never thought about before, you're inventing the answer. And then when mm-hmm. that generation passes away, you're inventing the answer again. Like you said, the, the, the dozens and dozens and dozens of really good Christian authors right now that won't be remembered in 50 years, mm-hmm. right? That... That it's, it's one thing to, I mean, but that's the case throughout history, right? Is, you know, for every Augustine, there's thousands, if not millions of people who taught throughout history that no one remembers, right? But we have the confessions. We have these doctrinal standards that are there for us as a gift to the church that said, this is scripture. This is our understanding of Scripture and what we confess about it, and that stands as true. And Brian, you were saying that last week. You were talking about the, um, you were talking about the experience of having gone to a church where there was ELCA influence, and there were changes that were made, little changes. Mm-hmm. We talked about boiling the frog, right? You know, little by little, and you don't even notice it's gone. I think the confessions are the thing. Uh, you know, you know, the Word of God ultimately is the thing, but the confessions are faithful expositions of the uh, the moorings, the thing, the, yeah. the the anchor that we need to look back to. And it's like if we are con- consistently familiar with the Word of God and these. these these faithful expositions of it, yeah. uh, those those changes can't happen. And, and the, the more that the average person knows that, the more that the average congregant gets into that and, and can internalize that, the harder it's going to be when somebody comes in and tries to shift that. Yeah, yeah when, when you were talking, Jason, I was thinking of Hebrews 2, you know, um, therefore we must pay much closer attention uh, to what we have heard, lest we drift drift away from it. It's that picture mm-hmm. of that mooring mm-hmm. in the original language. Is yeah. you know that's that's it. Yeah. Right. And the other thing I was thinking about too is just the different touch points of that. You know, not you know, good theology is in the ivory towers, intellectual academia. That's that's good too. Uh, but touch points like confirmation class and new member class, and uh, I'm sure there's other kind of angles or touch points where. Good theology can be applied based on who the audience is and and where they're at in in their faith. So I'm kind of curious how you use it when you have about 10 pastors in your congregation like you. (laughs) Brett is the pastor to the pastors right now. Am I the H.B. London of the... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or or Martin Lloyd-Jones or something. Yeah. It's this thing in the poll, but go ahead. No. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I think that... You know, for pastors, you know, they they want to be pastored too. They want to be preached the you know sound 
teaching, sound preaching. And they, they really appreciate that when they see it. And, you know, they, they're able to critique when they're, they maybe don't see or, or maybe would add something or take away something. But uh, I appreciate that, mm. that uh, kind of uh, that sort of fellowship, too. But. Yeah, when I was um, serving Hope, you know, I, I had three or four pastors, too. And I actually found that to be a safety net or I kind of felt safe in that, you know. Um, because I do want to know when I might, when I might be veering to the left or to the, or to the right. And I don't know. I just, I appreciated having, I don't know, that, that presence there, you know, to just either encourage me, um, because I know the older I get when I go sit and, you know, and get to hear a sermon from someone. And if it's a a good law gospel sermon, Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, preach it, brother, go, you know, I'd never get tired of hearing that God so loved the world. I mean, I, I just, my heart sings and, and just, I love that when, when proper long gospel is preached and you're just like, oh man, thank you, Lord. Right. You know? Now, one of the pastor members of my congregation was all of our Greek instructor and New Testament instructors. You know, he's largely responsible for probably a majority of our understanding of theology of everyone in this room. Uh, he's great. I love him. And and someone asked me if I was intimidated by being his yeah. pastor. <laughs> right. And, and, and you know, I, I think I was nervous the first Sunday. And after that, I realized that if he's being fed by what I'm teaching, then, you know, I probably should not be worried about it because he is in the position to be the most critical and he's the most gracious. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a, that's a freeing right. thing to yep. know that, you know... We're all in a position where it's refreshing to be fed by the word of God yep. in, in a, when we're usually the ones up front talking. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was an audio engineer, you know, you sit and mix music all the time. And so when you go to a concert, people are like, wow, you know, can you turn that off? And it's like, yeah, I'm just there to enjoy the songs because I obviously went and paid for the ticket to a band I want to see. And if it doesn't sound perfect, it doesn't make the song bad. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times we go to churches and we just take charisma way too, as too much of an importance. And we're like, hey, what are they saying? You know, Jesus is still worthy. The word is still powerful. It's, It's still the application of the Holy Spirit, you know, and sometimes we just got to get past ourselves in that, you know what I mean? And just say, you know what? Jesus has truly paid it all. He is worthy of my attention, and he is worthy of me looking past anything I might get hung up on. You know what I'm saying? Because it's it's the precious word of God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, the, this theology is, it, it's... Uh, it's accessible too, and I, and I think that's what I love about our podcast through the years is be able to get into people's earbuds when they're you know, driving on the way to work or w- doing whatever they're doing, and um, yeah, and seeing how it affects their vocations and their life and their calling. Vocation, uh, vocation, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, we're rolling now. Well, yeah, one of the first eye-opening things to me as a pastor, uh, as I started teaching this is just how common my own experience was in coming to the knowledge of good doctrine, Mm. right? You know, that, you know, Adam and I have shared that we have a common background in, in, you know, being nearly driven away from the faith by the, the legalism end of things. And, you know, hearing that the gospel was for me as a Christian Mm -hmm. and then, you know, like I, 
still remember the feeling of reading through the large catechism for yeah. the first time and like, this is amazing. This is really good stuff. I can use this. And having people like, yeah, that was exactly my experience when the first time I came in contact with the catechism or, you know, with good doctrinal, you know, scriptural doctrine. And it's something like that can't be a coincidence that there's something to it. Well, even in the podcast, I remember you would always share uh, letters or, or comments from people that are listening, like, man, you just kind of got me excited about the, the confessions again, or I've never really heard any of this stuff. And it's like something just opened up in me. And, and what a blessing to be a part of that and to, yep. to be able to use. And it's like that tradition that we're handing down uh, this thing that was fought for, uh, biblical Christianity. And um, what a what a gift that is, you know? It's fun to see, you know, going back, I, I referenced the elderly too, and and uh, the, the gift of people like looking at legalism, Jason used the word for me, when I realized it was for me, one of the first, it was the first funeral I did, it was on All Saints Day. Mm. Uh, that's when the guy died. It, it was it was really powerful. I've shared about this on the on the podcast, but he, uh, his line at 91, he, he would look at me with just this wonder, for me, pastor, for me, he died. <laughs> and it was, it was interesting, you know, and it was how yeah. God got a hold of him through that, through his, through his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and never lost the wonder, just the the idea that that this has been true, and, and just getting to see that this this is not new for this man. This has been going on for quite some time, but the wonder of it never left. And and granted, that's not to say if you've lost, you know, that there's there's ups and there's downs in the Christian life, and uh, you know, and he had them too. But but just at the end of his life, looking back on what you know that was, and and being convictionally Lutheran as well, like he was very much a you know very much you know, convinced of the scriptures and what God had done for him. And he looked back too to his baptism and, and different things, even though there was a time in his, as a young man, where he was not at all walking with the Lord. But uh, it's kind of exciting to see, you know, God got a hold of him. It's, yeah. it's actually one of the interesting distinctions I'm prepping uh, new material on that I'm getting ready to teach next month at our Summer Institute of Theology is I'm teaching an entire lesson on tension and paradox in Lutheran theology. That's one of the distinctions that separates Lutheran theology from other theology is that we embrace the tension, we embrace the paradox when the Word of God forces us there, right? And, and one of the biggest tensions that the generic American Christian church misses is that everything in the Christian faith is for me, but it's not about me. Hmm. And we always, in our sinful nature, invert that. Hmm. So that the faith becomes an expression of who I am. It's about me, but it's always for someone else. Hmm. It, it's all, and, and so you have that, the, 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 the well-intentioned but horribly misplaced emphasis on evangelism in the generic American church, that you always need to be doing something in your faith for someone else. You always need to be talking about Jesus. You need to be doing that thing. And, and you miss the point that the faith, every truth in the faith is for me. It's for me personally. And and what we want to hear is it's about me. It's about my story, that I'm the center of my faith. And that gets completely obliterated by good doctrine. Hmm. Yeah, but, you know, and, and I agree with everything you said, but that love that kind of starts to 
to, to birth and cultivate something in our heart that has that infectious nature, like this Adam, that this, this wonderful elderly man had, like, it's for me. That's when you can't contain it and keep it to yourself. And, and that's when like organic, yep. you know, um, evangelism happens because yeah. of, even though you might be going through like the worst season of your life, if you understand that for me, there's still a peace that surpasses all human understanding. There's still uh, a grace and a mercy that transcends the, mm. the situation that's going on around you. And you know what? That is that infectious organic evangelism that only, and I don't really know the exact word, but that only type of authentic, passionate faith comes from. Yeah. And that comes from God, of course, not something we muster up or some muscle we flexed. It literally is birthed and prayed for. By the word of God. Yeah. What I didn't share about that man, he was dying of cancer and his wife was in his same nursing home room with Alzheimer's and hadn't recognized him in years. Mm. You know, I mean, I can't think of a, of a more kind of a dire experience and the joy that, that you know, again, like you said, organic, something that can't be produced or mustered yeah. up by, you know, oh, I'm just going to, you know, pretend here for a little while. No, it's, it's life is really not awesome. And I bet you that preached a sermon, and even to the nurses attending absolutely. him and everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the whole point of First Peter 3.15, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. The implications there is that people are coming to you to ask about what's different, mm -hmm. what you know, what's in your faith. It's not that forced, mandated sending people out into the masses, you know, preaching from a soapbox in a park or, you know, interviewing people with a clipboard in the mall or something like that. Uh, you know, to the people who have the actual spiritual gift of evangelism, mm -hmm. great. I celebrate that. Yep. And, and I think it's terrific. But the bigger thing is, you know, like the man in the nursing home or, you know, like the joy that overflows when you when you actually come to that understanding of the gospel, that's the winsomeness that's mm -hmm. written about in the New Testament. That's the, you know, the peace that passes all understanding and, and that unspeakable joy that comes from knowing that what Jesus did is for me mm -hmm. personally. Amen. And, you know, I want to just say this and. I know you're yeah. going to agree with me, Brett, that this isn't an extrovert versus introvert thing. You know, I'm an introvert, you're an introvert, mm -hmm. but that joy and that, that infectious passion can play out according to the personality God gave us, but it still preaches a sermon. It preaches a sermon and it preaches a message that, again, is organic, that just literally flows through us you know, as the Holy Spirit continues to bring to completion that which God started in our heart. And it begins with that personal realization that this is for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the part where someone talks because this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Dead air doesn't play very well. It was so That profound. was just a mic drop moment. So it was. Yeah. Brian just ended it. You should have just outroed us right there, Brett. <laughs> Missed opportunity. No, but I, I, you know, I love that they're having this conversation because, you know, I've seen the over-emotionalistic aspect of certain denominations where it's about chasing goosebumps. But then I've also, you know, seen what's, oh, everything's got to be stoic and, and this and that. And I'm like... Come on, man. Jesus had passion. Jesus got excited about certain things when people would come to him and people were seeking him in faith where he got to pronounce your sins are forgiven. Pick up your bed and walk. You don't think he was excited about that? Give me a break, you well, know? And he was also, I mean, in, in his ministry also exemplified the whole idea that he took old, you know, ancient truths from the word, uh, that he, 
understanding what I'm saying there, right? Because yeah. that sounds like some of the truths that, you know, the word contains. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Like he takes the word of God and embodies it and applies it in such a way that is engaging and it makes people think too. Uh, and that was that was something that, that I think is important. When you look at the confessions, there is nothing inherently attractive about um, you know, some of, you know, Martin Chemnitz's uh, writings, for hey, instance. Hey, we're, we're going to have to disagree <laughs> on that. <Yeah. laughs> Even the binding that uh, we had to use of the books of, of his in seminary weren't attractive. But the idea is it's, sometimes it's harder to get into for some people, and I understand that. But the reality is if you can get into it, understand what it's saying, the application, yeah. there is there, there the application, like right. I said, 100 years from now, that application is going to look different. But for today, it means something. Yep. Uh, it it's for me and for today, and, and I can become passionate about that. I can be a proponent of that. I can proclaim it uh, in such a way that is engaging. I think that's the, the responsibility of the Lutheran pastor. Yeah. As they're looking at the as they're looking at the Word of God and the confessions as they are expressed, um, to be able to take those truths without diluting them mm-hmm. and to hand them to the next generation or to hand them to the world, you know, delivered them the gifts that God gives yeah. uh, to the world in a way that it can be received. Now, that doesn't mean changing the service every week like you were talking about before. You know what I mean? And, and that doesn't mean you have to come up with a new creative explanation right. every time. But it's okay to take those things, talk about them in today's language yep. in a way that makes sense to our world and to be excited about it. Yeah, every once in a while I'll stop after each liturgical thing i'm like hey i just this is why we do this you know it's always good to to ask yourself why do i do what i do and who am i doing this for i started using the children's sermon at faith for that Mm -hmm. where during the sunday school year we were uh the every sunday the children's sermon would be on either the new season in the church year that we just started or an element of the liturgy in order and the most feedback i would get would be from the adults who were like i never thought about why we did that mm-hmm. you know and it, it was it was worthy uh to be explained in that way and you know we can get so into the habit and, and maybe you would even call it a rut of just moving through the liturgy like it's a checklist mm-hmm. that sometimes you fail to pay attention to what you're actually saying and what you're actually receiving yeah, that's right yeah, i've said yeah. a few things from the pulpit on that one and i think all of that comes back to the impact it has on people's lives and to bring you know good theology leading to people being finding assurance of salvation and finding the peace that uh, that it's it's not about their efforts to uh, live up to a certain thing on the legalism side and um, and just finding just a comfort a comfort of conscience that comes from good law and gospel preaching and teaching and uh, you know flowing from that you know I think Jason you you always kind of say that assurance of salvation invocation, invocation. Yeah, those those two together but yeah and that's the territory of the Holy Spirit that's why it's so comforting is that as we do this the way Scripture has presented it to us, we have the assurance that in whatever way it's done, the Spirit is working there with God's Word. And so that these transformations and this peace and this joy is is Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, and it's not something that you just manufacture by doing A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fruit of unburdened consciences. Yeah, amen. Yeah. And a non-formulaic approach that, yep. you know, I think we can... Get an, even we talked about this. You said last week, and I, I, I had to think for a moment because yeah. we're recording both of these <laughs> the same day. I'm like, I wasn't here last week. But um, you made this. This no, I forgot what I was going to say. But but there's there there isn't this. This is the way we've always done it. You can't 
bring that in. You as pastors and as, as ministers of the gospel of Christ, we have to assess every situation. Not that the word changes, not that the meaning or the truth of the word changes, but the application of it, as you talked about before, like from different generations. Because I got to think about, I really got to think about or try to, to really get my head into like the, the Gen Z aspect because I'm a Gen X. There's nothing more different. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I got two, I got a millennial, you know, so I got two millennial sons and I got, you know, two Gen Z sons. And I'm telling you, there's such a drastic difference in thinking that, but the word stays the same, but I'm like, okay, how can I, I, I speak this and get these, these kids excited about this? You know, I'm not trying to like do a show or entertain, but I'm trying to hit them at their level or reach them at their level. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Amen. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Uh, I don't, but I don't want to go. I for, for old time's sake, Brian, do you happen to have a verse? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we can put for me in there, can't we? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he has won the victory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Check out the up-and-coming Spotlight Conference at the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary on October 10th and the 11th. Messages from Keith Barron and Matt Whitman will encourage students and guests to trust and enjoy the Scripture and the promises of God. To register for free, go to flbc.edu events. God bless you and have a great week.